Hello everyone, this is the Audience Explorer, a podcast for you as a founder or creator who wants to develop an audience for your product or service. I'm Matthias Bohlen. Good day everyone, Matthias here again with the next episode of the Audience Explorer. Today I'm happy to have Michelle Hansen here as my guest. She's an entrepreneur, she lives in Denmark, she's American and I'm so happy to have you here, Michelle. Good morning. Hi Matthias, how are you? Fine, thanks. Hope you too. I'm so excited to be here. To introduce uh, yourself a little bit to our listeners, tell us a little bit what you typically do uh, and how you, how you have started to do this, what you do. Yes. So um, my husband and I run a small SaaS called Geocodio, uh -huh. which is um, a software to convert addresses to coordinates and coordinates to addresses um, for the US and Canada, and then uh -huh. also to ad add additional data on top of that. And the, the basic reason why this exists is because a computer does not understand an address. It only understands the latitude and longitude coordinates. So what we do is make it easy to convert from an address to coordinates so that a computer can understand it. So for example, you could make a map mm -hmm. and then also to convert coordinates to addresses so that a human can understand them. And then also to make it easy to get other pieces of information that you can only get when you have the coordinates such as time zones. Ah, interesting. And, and who would use this, this SAS? What are your typical users or customers? So we are a horizontal SaaS, which means that we sell to a wide variety of industries and customer types. It's everything from university students who are working with geographic data for the first time mm -hmm. to uh, Fortune 50 companies using it as part of their data intelligence. Um, it's a really a huge, um, huge breadth of customers, which makes it so fun. Ah. And how uh, much time, for, for how long have you been doing this? We started the company in January of 2014 as a side project. Um, grew it on nights and weekends for uh, about three and a half years. And then I went full-time and my husband went full-time uh, about six months later. So we have both been full-time on it for coming up three years now. That's amazing. That's a, already a long time for a SaaS startup. It's, it's been wonderful. Um, it's, we, we really never uh, dreamed that it would be our full-time jobs, and here we are. So nice. Um, so um, when you started all this, how, how come that you got the idea to start Geocodio? It was a problem that we experienced ourselves. So we had a mobile app where... This is back in 2012, mm -hmm. where um, you could open the app and it would show you the grocery stores and coffee shops and convenience stores that were currently open. So for example, if you needed milk at midnight or a coffee at 3 a.m., at the time, you couldn't just type into Google and it would tell you, you know, where's the nearest, you know, Starbucks, for example. Right. Um, you would instead have to know, okay, I think there's a Starbucks near here. Let me go to their website. Let me go to their store locator. Like, and it was like five clicks deep. And if it's, you know, if it's midnight and you have a screaming baby and need diapers, 
like you, you don't have the brain power for that. And yeah, so and right. you just need the nearest thing that happens to be open. So, um, so you would open up and there would be a map. And the problem was, so we, I mentioned that the coordinates can be used to put addresses and locations on a map. We used Google for that. And the problem was you could either get 2,500 locations for free per day. You couldn't store them. Mm -hmm. um, or if you needed more than that, you could pay like $20,000 a year for an enterprise contract to get 100,000 a day. And we we're like, we just need 3,000 a day. Like we don't need, we don't need 100,000. This is a little mobile app making $400 a month. Um, what are we going to do to keep this going? So uh -huh. we ended up having to build our own very rudimentary geocoder. And as we just kind of talked about this with friends of ours who are developers, it turns out they had the same problem, which was that they weren't allowed to store the data from the major providers and that the pricing was unaffordable for them. And somebody was like, hey, why don't you just like slap a paywall in front of this? And then like, you know, other people can use the, an API and maybe it'll co cover the cost of the servers and then you can keep your app going and like this will cover its costs. And we're like, oh, that sounds awesome. So we put it up in January of 2014 after a couple months of testing with other developers and um, two little digital ocean droplets for $20 yeah. a month. <laughs> um, so our goal was to make $20. Um, that was that was like success was twenty dollars a month uh, in revenue, and we ended up with thirty one dollars, which was a huge surprise and uh, way more than we had ever planned on which, making. Which month was that? <laughs> was, it, was it already in the first month or was it another? That was month? the first month. So Amazing. we had a pay as you go model, and so it, we charged everyone on February first for the first half of January. Um, And it was $31. And uh, it was like, we were so surprised that anyone wanted to pay us that we actually hadn't written the code to tell Stripe to bill people. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so, so, so your code, your work, but, but the Stripe connection didn't yet work. Okay. The, well, the Stripe, we, we had Stripe set up, but we hadn't, you know, written the code that actually, like, you know, did yeah, the actual yeah. charging. Um, And you know, from the very beginning, um, you know, we 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 lucked out and and ended up being on the first page of Hacker News pretty much the whole day we launched, which was a huge surprise to us. Wow! Now we never ever replicated that traffic. I mean, if I were to show you a a chart of our website visits for across the whole last seven years, um, you just see this massive spike on the first day, and mm -hmm. it's like a mountain, mm -hmm. and then everything is flat in comparison. <laughs> So, so um, there was yeah. a real need, right? The people were waiting for for kind of thing, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 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 terms of service and pricing pain with the uh, major providers turned out to be, um, you know, not just something that the people we knew and the people that we had we had talked to, um, but mm -hmm. you know, a, a pretty big pain point. And how would those people call themselves? Would they all call themselves developers, or are there other uh, or types of audiences who are using your service? So when we launched, we were initially only focused on developers. Mm -hmm. um, so it was API only, um, just forward geocoding, which is address to coordinates. Um, and then as we went on, we got lots of feedback from people. You know, we're listening to them about what they were trying to do and what they were 
what they were currently using and why it wasn't working for them. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I think maybe a month later, we added uh, a reverse geocoding API. So that's coordinates to addresses. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a couple of months later, um, also had people who wanted to upload spreadsheets and these are more like marketing uh, people. And I remember asking them like, what do they currently use? And someone's like, well, there's this guy that you can like send him your file and then he'll get it back to you in a couple of days. And it was like, oh, that seems like an opportunity for software to just automate all of yeah, that. Yeah, to do it more quickly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So um, so our customer, I mean, it's a huge range. We started out with developers, but um, yeah, I guess the developers told told other people about it and then they wanted to be able to use it too. And we have a lot of developers who use the spreadsheet upload tool as well. Um, especially if people might have, you know, a backlog of a couple hundred million addresses that they need to run. Wow. Yeah. And how did you get in first contact with, um, with your audience? You already mentioned uh, Hacker News. What, was that the main channel or were there other channels also? So from the very beginning, I think since we had... Um, you know, my husband is a developer and, and I was a technical project manager. So we had access to, to developers just within our social networks. Um, mm, and before okay. we launched, we actually went down to, uh, uh, like, I don't know what you call it. I mean, it's it sort of a combination between like an incubator, a hacker's space and co-working space, the kind of thing that was ah, very hot yeah. in that early 2010s period. Right. Um, and kind of, we had some friends who had a small company there. And so basically went there and said like, Hey, like, you know, play around with this, let us know what you think. And then just talk to other people, um, in that, in that co-working space. Yes. And then, and then once we launched, um, we went on Hacker News, um, and we, um, we also started kind of posting anywhere where we could find where people were talking about geocoding whether that was on reddit or on stack overflow um you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. tableau community forums like you know those sort of as amy hoy calls it the digital digital watering holes right. where um where people were congregating and then you know people were like hey like i have this spreadsheet of addresses how do i geocode it and then dumping in to say you can use geocodio for that and linking to our site That sounds pretty easy for this type of audience. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've been pretty um, SEO driven from the very beginning. Um, so so it's just a matter of, of being there when people need it because people are, they're already aware that they have the problem. Um, we just need to make them aware that we exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't the... The other way around where people sometimes put out a product and wait for people to, to show up, right? This this uh, old, um, what was it? Field of dreams thing, right? Um, so it was the the opposite. You you built something and you went to the people where they already uh, were hanging out. Yeah, yeah. I'd say that's accurate. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, what did you do then after you met met those people who were interested in your product how do do you uh, how do you say that in english um how do you keep in touch with them um and uh keep the conversation going with with them what do you do for your audience these days uh 
Not much, honestly. Um, you know, the, the thing about having a product that people know that they need is that we, we can't really convince them that they need it. You know, like they, mm-hmm. they either, you know, need to know the locations of, for example, the customers in their CRM or, uh, one of my favorite examples is, um, companies that, um, have tractors and tractors now are incredibly smart and they send back data reports every night on the health of the tractor. And that may need to be timestamped for the specific location so that they know that that one tractor is in Delaware and one is in Texas and that it's all at midnight on their local time. Ah, mm-hmm. And and so when you when, when having a product that is just something that people need, like I feel like it's like the equivalent of selling wood into the software industry, just like everybody needs it. Um, we don't really do a lot of lead nurturing or anything like that because we can't control whether they have 500 tractors to get reports from or 500,000. So um, instead of focusing on trying to sort of convert and upsell individual people, um, what I do a lot of is interviewing customers and listening for use cases that are both frequent and painful and also you know do have those higher volume needs. And then it's a matter of speaking more to those higher volume needs, um, writing landing pages, things like that, basically, so that when people with those use cases are looking for something, we're already there saying, hey, you know, you can use us to put for the geocoding on your uh, real estate listings website, for example. Ah, okay, so you really went B2B, right? You, um, you, you're not so much into B2C space. No, we have some um, B2C, but it's, it's very, very small. The closest we get to B2C is really Uh, I don't know if you call it BTE, but sort of uh, business education with, I mentioned students and, and, and academics, like that's really the closest. I did have someone once who told me how they used Geocodio to make a map of all of these locations in a um, some sort of game they played that was mm-hmm. like an imaginary game across the United States with treasures. I'm sorry, I, I, I don't. I'm probably some somebody is listening and knows what game this is and they know that I'm totally mangling this. Um <laughs> but you know so they used it for their gaming purposes and I, um but like that's pretty much the only true B2C use case I've ever heard yeah. from someone. The other are more more B, B2B, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And how do you find those customers who you whom you want to talk to to get to talk about new use cases? Mm-hmm. So I set up, try to set up as many interviews with customers as I can. Um, the primary ways we do that are first that we have um, interviews that trigger, that go out to new customers five days after their first purchase, just asking them, hey, like, you know, why do you even need this data in the first place? And how did you find us? And then I either um, try to talk to them over email about their, what their use case is or um, set up a call. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and then we also have surveys that go out. That's like just a little one question survey pop up where people rank us from one to 10 for their satisfaction. And then I ask what they used before they used Geocodio. And again, mm-hmm. that's a way to um, learn more about their use case, what they were using before, what led them to switch. Um, I also, um, There's a, there's a wide variety of research that we do. Those are sort of the ongoing research, the sort of, I call it sort of maintenance research, which is just part of everyday work. 
Um, About once a year, I do an analysis of our top 80% of revenue. And then I I analyze all of those customers like an investor would a portfolio. And then I try to speak with as many of those customers as possible um, to understand why they're happy because it's much easier to find more happy people more, you know, with, with use cases that are good fit for our product than it is to try to make our product fit use cases that it's not designed for. Um, we will also try to talk to people who have canceled. Um, if we're launching something new where there are specific questions about a particular experience or landing page or, uh, whatnot, we'll also do sort of screen share tests. Um, but those are less frequent than those uh, maintenance interviews. That's an interesting idea. I love that. Uh, it's easier to talk with someone who is happy and, and the use case fits your product. It's easier than to make someone happy who, who hasn't got the right use case. That, that's an interesting idea. I love that. In many ways, it's inspired by the concept of loss aversion, which is this concept that comes from um, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky, which is basically that people are inclined to try to avoid losing something yes. than they are to try to gain something, which is why a lot of customer people who do interviews, they will they might focus on people who have canceled and then try to prevent those people from canceling or um, try to win them back. Uh, when you know the way I use cancellation interviews is if I hear about a use case that we're not a good fit for, then it's like, okay, maybe we should dial back that marketing because we're not a good fit for what they're doing. And instead, what have we learned from the people who are happy? It's much easier to take someone from neutral to happy than it is from unhappy to neutral, never mind unhappy to happy. Mm. Amazing. And the, um, the trigger for the interviews, you said it's part, partly automated by email? Yep. What? Yep. So I have an automated email through intercom that goes out to people five days after their first purchase. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I mentioned, you know, earlier that we have a pay as you go model for one of our, one of our plans as a pay as you go plan. And so someone may have started using it, the paid version of it, say, um, you know, the month beforehand, and then they're charged the first of the following month. So then that would trigger five days after that. But if they signed up for one of our um, subscription plans, um, you know, it's, it's much sooner. Um, but what's always really interesting is that just because they added a credit card and started using it as a paid level, very often they were using it for a long time um, on the free tier before upgrading. Ah, speaking of the free tier, that's interesting because I, I've got a, a problem to solve in my own startup with uh, with a free trial. I'm not so sure whether it's better to uh, ask for a credit card right away and start a free trial uh, nevertheless, or ask for the credit card at the end of the free trial. How is it in your case? Mm, so we have a free tier, which allows people to run up to 2,500 addresses or really lookups, so including all those other data appends um, per day. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no credit card required. They only need a credit card if they want to go above that 2,500. Ah, okay. That's also an interesting approach because it's related to the value, to the to the volume that they uh, get, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. It's not time related, so um, nope. it's uh, you c- you can use it for several weeks. 
you could use it for years. Actually, I, I always love when I see that, like, you know, see someone come in through intercom and on the, on the sidebar, it has their Stripe payment history. And I always love when it happens when someone has a fairly low user number, like, you know, under 10,000. And then, it, you know, it turns out that their payment history is like, you know, $2 in, in, you know, February of 2016. And then, and then it was $885 in January of 2017. And then it was $50 in October of 2018. And it's like, oh yes, like this model really works because, you know, people can just use what they need when they need it. And they're not, uh, they're they, like, they don't have to be locked into something like we, yeah. we do have a subscription, um, subscription plans, but, um, it's just, it's always so satisfying to, <laughs> to see that. Nice. Cause you know, we were that customer, right? Like, like we had that situation where we just, we only needed what we needed yeah, and no more than that and couldn't pay for more than that. So what really sounds through is that you, you really care for your audience. You wanted uh, to, to them, you want them to get value and to be happy. Yes. I think empathy for the customer is the cornerstone foundation and pillars of everything that we do. We always make decisions from the perspective of if we were the customer, how would we want this to work? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And often that means, you know, getting outside of our own perspective um, and, and understanding how things work from their perspective, but not making any decisions that we feel are hostile to the customer, mm -hmm. which in many ways is, uh, it's sort of a, a goes against the grain of, you know, we, we intentionally don't lock people into things and whatnot. Yeah, it it's, uh, could seem attractive to lock people in, but I think it, it really isn't. Because if, uh, if everyone is, is getting forward, including the customer and the, and the, um, the company, then everything is much better. Yeah. I, you know, there's incentives for the company to do that. Like it's very valuable for the the company if people are locked in, but not necessarily for the user in a lot of cases. And that, you know, that requires a set of circumstances where, you know, we're not incentivized to growth. But if mm -hmm. we mm -hmm. had investors, if we needed to grow, if we needed to show revenue growth, then, you know, it would make sense for us to to have more aggressive tactics, but since we don't have any investors and it's just the two of us, we can, you know, that, that yeah, gives us the freedom been, to make the decision that's in the best interest of the customer. And we really value that. And it gives you more peace of mind, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just um, how we like to run things. About these uh, customer interviews, when, when they really uh, begin and get and you get started, can you tell me two of, uh, two examples one where you got an interesting surprising response uh, to your questions and when you get got one that you already expected oh so interviews always have a combination of those um i always i love it when i talk to someone and i discover this use case that i didn't even know existed mm -hmm. and it's always so exciting to be like wow i didn't even know that happened in the first place and they're using our product for it that's so cool yeah um just the other day i was talking to someone who works for an electric utility and they were trying to optimize the routes that their technicians take when they are assessing meter readings. So in the US often this is this is done manually. They don't have mm -hmm. a way to do mm -hmm. it automatically. Um, and so they were trying to optimize um, all of those different routes and they were they were um, moving to a new like a new 
piece of software that they had built that needed the coordinates um, in order to make these these routes. Um, and and they were using Geocodio for it. And, you know, or the thing I mentioned about tractors, like I just, I love that one um, because, you know, just imagining all these little tractors talking to each other is, <laughs> I mean, the farming industry is just amazingly um, technologically advanced now. Um, and so I always learn something that I didn't know, whether it's about why they use our product or how they use it or, um, you know, the, the different use cases or how they found us. Like I just, I genuinely delight in understanding other people's perspectives and their journeys towards things. Like I just, I just really find it fun. So, um, so I love it when I find something new and then, and then also when we find things that we already knew, um, and that's validating. Um, and the thing I always remind myself is, okay, even if they say, you know, if, if someone else were to come to me and say, you know, we're, we're using you guys because we are a um, let's let's say we're a university and we need to be able to to know which major cities our big donors are near so that when we go and have meetings in those cities we can make sure we talk to the right people. So we need to know the metropolitan statistical area to know that someone is in um, yes they're in Massachusetts but maybe they're in the Boston area versus they're in the New York area for example. Uh, mm -hmm. um, and so when I hear a use case that I'm already familiar with reminding myself to continue to ask questions and ask for clarification, even though I don't need it because there is always something to be discovered. Ah, so it influences your next question, so to say. When uh, somebody tells you something famil you're familiar with, you still remind yourself you, you need to ask for more or you, you need to ask for more information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Always ask for more information. Okay. And uh, how do you plan for the future now when you think uh, Geocodio, let's say in one year or two years, what, what do you want to make happen then? We just want to keep on doing what we're doing. Um, you know, we're at a stage of the company where we are optimizing for stability. Uh -huh. um, we don't really need to pursue growth. It does happen. Like we grew over 50% last year, but it wasn't intentional. Um, so, you know, we're really focused on making um, you know, uh, you know, things, you know, just the, the, where we, we just, we just optimize for stability, which is just leads to a different set of, um, priorities than it might, if you were optimizing for growth. That's right. That's right. So, so you don't plan to hire, uh, tons of people and, and, uh, conquer the world, but you, you're keeping, uh, things stable and, uh, for your peace of mind, right? Yeah, I mean, we are excited about turning the the old hen house on our property into a shed quarters uh, in the backyard. But <laughs> I think that's the kind of what's the, that the, a shed the, quarters? The big form. Yeah, so it's the kind of I've heard other people with indie sasses talk about having a shed quarters, which is basically you have a little a shed in your backyard that is your quote unquote headquarters. Oh, I see. Um, I and see. so we 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 call it yeah the the hen house is is. Uh, going to be a project for us so that we the can house. that's good <laughs> the more separate our personal life from uh work a little bit easier and you know if the computers are in a different building maybe it'll be harder for us to check in on things at 10 o'clock at night that's right that's right <laughs> amazing thank you michelle it was so uh, so nice to hear about your approach to to work with your audience and i wish you very much success for geocodio for you and your husband same to you. It was really nice talking to you. 
So that's a wrap for today, my dear listeners. If you want to hear more from Michelle, you can listen to her podcast, Software Social, which is one of my personal favorites. She talks about running her small SaaS Geocodio and her co-host talks about getting one off the ground too. You can also find her on Twitter at MJWHansen. Thanks for listening to the Audience Explorer podcast today. You can find me on Twitter at GetTheAudience and you can check out the blog at gettheaudience.com. If you have any questions about this episode, reach out to me on Twitter or send an email to matthias at gettheaudience.com. If you want to support this podcast, please leave a rating in your favorite podcast player app. This will help other founders or creators to find this podcast about developing an audience for their product or service. Thank you very much for listening and see you in the next episode. Bye-bye.